0: Thank you for listening to our weekly Baylife Church podcast. Make sure you visit our website, baylifechurch.org.au, where you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes so that you'll never miss another message. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. I'm really happy to throw out the program. We don't have to have... Like you, there's more value in resting in God than anything else. That was beautiful. <laughs> um, I'm at the end of a series we've just finished, which most many of you would have remember, called Living a Flourishing Life, and Pastor Chris and Pastor Greg um spent about four or five weeks talking about the various aspects of that and because I guess I have people in my sphere of influence or in my world that I know are not flourishing at the moment and because my own life sits before me all the time and I know there's times that I haven't flourished I just want to add a little caveat I know this is a bit cheeky when they've already done a series and I'm sort of putting a little appendix at the end but Unless they take the mic off me, I can say whatever I like, right? (laughs) But there are, I mean, if we're honest with our Christian walk, there are times when we're up and there are times when we're down. There are times when we feel really on fire and there's times when we feel like we're just surviving. And to be honest, when you're in that place, sometimes if you go into the Word, you'll look at the New Testament and you see there's lots of areas where it just says, you know, continue to run the race and, you know, persist and hang in and push in and press in. And it doesn't sound a lot like flourishing and so i'm i just want to say if you're in that place at the moment don't don't feel guilt and don't feel any self-condemnation because you know as i said we go through that stuff but the key i believe is to not let go of the things that were talked about in that series but actually start to apply them because that will be the turnaround thing that gets you from that hanging on surviving pressing in too flourishing and I said first service this morning that if you're flourishing all the time you're like one of those you know and the analogy was used throughout that series about plants you know the only green plant I know that stays green the whole time long is plastic and they're generally the ones that gather gather dust so (laughs) there's times when you can drop a few leaves that's okay it's actually not it it, (laughs) um Vijay last week said something really good He, he very succinctly just said it's okay to not be okay um it's probably not okay to park yourself there for long periods of time but we're going to be there at some point so just don't feel guilt or condemnation about where you're at but um you know i know chris and greg both talked about you know remaining planted and and loving what jesus loves and and looking for blockages in your life and all that stuff you know you can you can sort out if you go back and sort of listen to some of those words there they're gold because um, I know my own prayer life, I didn't mention this this morning, but it's like, just consists of two prayers, really. It's either, God, thank you that you're an amazing God, that you have everything planned out, that that you watch over me, that you love me, thank you for all that you've done. And the other one is, God, hold on to me and my family. You know, I've got nothing else. I'm trusting you to hold on. Um so much so, there's actually a, a song I really like by a band called Caterman's Call. It's called Shifting Sand. I don't know whether you know Caterman's Call, but um, probably before most of you, some of you at least. Um, and the chorus goes, you know, my faith is like shifting sand changed by every wave. My faith is like shifting sand. So, I'm <laughs> so I'll am so i stand on grace. And that's what we've got to remember, That you know, we're going to be like this, but God's like that. Okay, so try and remember that. And I guess speaking of music, my I'm pretty low tech with music. I don't have a MP3 player. I don't have Apple Shuffle Play. What are they? I don't know the other ones. iPods, none of that. I have a disc phone. I have, I have a disc player in my car. That's an upgrade from a tape player. You wouldn't know about that. Um, <laughs> and there's one song that's just been... It's on, circulation so there's one song that comes back to me all the time and there's a a line in that song and it simply says and it comes out of nowhere and it's it's a great lyric because it's a bit vague and a bit cryptic but it says grace is high and low it's a switchfoot song and um, that's just sort of been going around in my head so this morning I actually want to talk a bit about grace and this is really loose like I'm I got three points that's it so I'm just going to talk a bit about grace and maybe what that might mean to be grace is high and low. Um, yeah, I might pray and normally I will just pray but we might turn this into an Anglican service and I'll pray it out of a book. Can I do that? It's called the Bible but <laughs> Paul Paul writes better prayers than I can, I can come up with so I just... It's from Ephesians chapter 1. You know, if you are in one of those valley things that I was talking about and you don't think you're flourishing, just read Ephesians chapters 1 and 2 and you'll really work out what God thinks of you and where he's placed you and what he's done for you. But a couple of verses out of Ephesians as a prayer for us. Praise be to you, God. For you have blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You chose us before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in your sight. And in love you predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with your pleasure and will. So we just thank you this morning, Father. We thank you for all that you've done and we thank you for all that you're going to do. Amen. So I've titled this um, talk... What's So Amazing About Grace, and for all you people that read Christian literature, you'll know that I've already overstepped the mark and borrowed someone else's title. But if it's about grace, you're not going to hold that against me by the end of the service. And seeing the guy that wrote it was writing about grace, he's not going to hold it against me. And as I said this morning, if he did, then I'd point out that John Newton, at least the guy that wrote Amazing Grace, wrote the first half of his title. So... (laughs) And the verses I'd like to base it out of is Ephesians chapter 2, and it simply says this, and this is a great couple of verses. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our sins. It's by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. And if you sort of get a hold of that passage, there is just so much in that. You know, it talks about not only the fact what we've been gifted that this amazing grace, but it talks about the motivation of God, the heart of God. It actually even talks about what authority we have if we accept God's grace, because it says in, um, in that passage there that He seated us with Christ, who's, and where's Christ? He's at the right hand of God. That's a position of authority. So if we are prepared to accept God's grace for us, um, it takes us sort of out of darkness into light and gives us authority. You now it talks about um, his motivation. You now his great love for us, and also the character of God. You know the fact that he's rich in mercy. And I was talking to somebody about this passage, oh, maybe two years ago now, and well, we were talking around these sort of themes. And um, the person I was talking to misquoted it back to me. He said, "So it's by faith we are saved through grace." And I thought sort of, I didn't pull him up on it at all and I was because I thought that doesn't sound quite right but then I was thinking well it doesn't does it really matter you know we've got faith and we've got grace and really for them to work for us we need both aspects we need God's grace and we need to believe that God has given us grace but so I was thinking you know is the order that important but then when you read Romans chapter 5 verse 8 it says this God demonstrated his own love for us in this while we were still sinners Christ died for us So grace and this is point number 1 grace always comes first doesn't matter where you're at what you've done what you're even going to do grace is already there in place And that's an important thing, let me tell you. That's a really important thing because I'm going to share a bit of my testimony, which I don't like doing because I get emotional. I did this morning. I probably will again, so I'm giving you fair warning. Um, It's not just Chris that cries up the front. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I grew up in a nominal Christian household. My mum... I don't know whether she'll watch this at some stage. She probably won't like to so say it. Called it normal, but we didn't go to church on a Sunday very often. Maybe we could Easter Christians or something. Um, but my parents did believe. I was convinced that they believed because when part of the reason we didn't go to church much is I lived on an island, so it's hard to get off the island. Um, but when I was, we moved off the island, I was about fifteen or sixteen. I got dragged along the church a little bit, and. I was very analytical. I used to sit there while I was singing hymns and praying and I was thinking, oh, I, I, I can see how this works. Because if, you, if, you're a, if you're a Christian and you believe and you die and it's true, well, hey, you go to heaven. And if it's not true, you're not going to find out that it's not true, <laughs> right? There's just nothing there. Of course, I didn't appropriate the other side of that which would have should have been for me if it's true and you don't believe what happens. I wasn't thinking about that. But I, I just sort of sat down and thinking, oh, yeah, this is okay if they want to believe that. But I didn't believe it. And then when I was about 18, um, my older brother died. And that really galvanized my parents' Christianity. They became full-on Christians. And, you know, sometimes we go through tough stuff and we wonder why God's put that there. But there are definitely purposes and reasons for that. But it didn't work for me. I mean, it was pretty much the opposite. It pushed me a, a bit further away. So I did all the things, maybe not all the things, most of the things you're not supposed to do um, as a young adult. And I went through uni. I got a job in Canberra. My girlfriend at the time, and my, which is now my wife, and my parents lived on the Central Coast, and I commuted backwards and forwards each weekend to see them. And on one of those trips, for no reason, I wasn't looking for God. It was, I had life under control. I was listening to another song on my car. This time was a tape player. This is way back before MP3 players. Um, it was actually a Supertramp song, I remember, because I, I've listened to it hundreds of times thinking, how did God talk to me out of that song? Which he didn't. He actually just, he spoke directly to me, but... I remember the song when he's doing it and he said something like this he said you can live your life however you like but you live it knowing that I am God and Jesus died for you and so that was a bit of a turning point and you may think wow just a bit well it was actually only a bit I have to confess that it took about 14-15 months after that before I surrendered so I was pretty stubborn and steadfast in my ways. My lifestyle changed. I couldn't do the things I was doing without feeling a complete hypocrite because I did know that God existed. But it took about a little over a year before I was able to surrender and accept Jesus as my Lord and Saviour. And for that, it's taught me that grace always comes first. You don't have to be looking and seeking for grace it to be there it's there it's actually our job to believe it and to appropriate it or accept it and the more i think about it, everything that god has for us he's done you know when jesus died on the cross he said it's finished and he said that for a reason it's finished um it, when you look right back in genesis actually um you know what was the crowning glory of god's creation it was us but we get created last. I don't know whether you thought about this at all. I was thinking about this the other day. He created everything else first. You think, well, why did he do that? If we, if we were the crowning glory, if we were what he, his focus was. was. So when Adam and Eve um, were created, they didn't have to worry about the air that they were breathing, the food that they were going to eat, the water they were going to drink. God had already put all that in place. And if you look through for every situation for every circumstance i really believe that god has already set that in place his grace is already sufficient for us yeah i might leave that there um point two i was pretty poor at maths at school i mean i understood it but i was lazy so i I didn't do that well, and I was t- telling people this morning. My high school HSC maths teacher, Mr. Jones, Chris Jones, I still remember him. Um, when we were graduating, he put right on my card: "Do um, Dy dx equals zero at a stationary point, Greg? You should know what stationary means." And. <laughs> But the joke was on him because I didn't really get the maths joke till after I'd gone to uni and worked out what differentiation really did and meant. And... But what I've come to realize is that God is the master mathematician. I mean you look at the way the universe how we perceive the universe and we've developed all these formula and criteria, you know, string theory and quantum mechanics to work out how the universities how the unit you know, universe and i said university is unfolding and even in nature um there's things like uh, mendelbrot sets and fenobachi series that you can mathematically describe you know how many white petals have five leaves and things like that um even when you look in the bible you know if you start doing the numerology of the bible it's just fascinating god is the mathematician until it comes to grace you know when it comes to grace God's mass is all over the shop grace we all have heard the definition it's God's unmerited favor but I like John Morgan's version he says um, if you work in a job for 38 hours a week at the end um, you get a paycheck and that's called a wage And if you run a race and you come first, at the end of the race you're given a a trophy and that's called a prize. And, you know, you can volunteer in the community and do good works and get recognised with a, a plaque or a memorial and that's called an award. But when you can't earn it and you can't win it and you haven't deserved it, but you're gifted something so amazing as salvation, well, that's called grace. And I think our whole, even from growing up, our whole lifestyle is geared away from being able to accept something so amazing without effort. Um, You think about how you treat your children when they do something right the first time they walk. You give them encouragement. you, You give them rewards. You punish them when they're naughty. Now, our whole... Um the way we um, talk and um, the, the things we come up with, like early bird gets the worm, and you know there 's no such thing as a free lunch um, if at first you don 't succeed, try, try again you know we 're conditioned in this life to believe that there 's no reward without effort, but in god 's economy, there is reward, and there 's not a lot of effort it 's actually a component of faith and and then it's appropriating what you believe. Grace always comes first. And I think the the passage which may be up there, so it's a long passage, but if you've read that, that must have really done the Jews heads in when when Jesus spoke that parable because they were all about getting what you earn and 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 um and then Jesus says no no God's kingdom is different it's not a matter of whether you come come in first or come in last God's love is there for you doesn't actually say that in this but that's what he was trying to get across it's not what you do it's not how you do it it's the same for everybody and if you look at even if we look in our lives and yeah but God couldn't love me you know the things I have done and it, you know when God came to me on that return trip heading back to Canberra I actually was blowing my eyes out i to pull the car over the road because that that was the questions that I was asking myself God how can you love me you don't know the things that I've done well he does know the things that I've done but Romans 5, 20 says, you know, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So there's nothing that you've done, there's nothing that you haven't done that God hasn't covered with grace. And um, I think um, the author of... Um, that amazing hymn, Amazing Grace, John Newton. I mean, he f- I think he discovered that as much as anybody else. I don't know whether you know the story of John Newton, but um, he didn't grow up the son of a clergyman and become a clergyman. He, he grew up the son of a seaman and his father took him to sea at 11 because his mum had died. And then the um, the English, the, the Royal Navy... Um, Oh, what's the word? They basically... I read all these naval fiction books and I should know it. They um, basically grabbed him and, and took him on board their ship, um, pressed him. And so he tried to desert, So, which he didn't succeed, so then they swapped him f- um, on a tra- uh, slave trading vessel and he became a slaver. And he mastered slaving vessels um, for... Mu- much of his life and um, and then at one point he uh, one of the vessels that he was a master of was sinking and um, he prayed out to God God save me and God did but he continued to go on slaving and then he got a couple years later he got very sick he was near death and he cried out to God again God save me God did and eventually God got through because if those um those verses uh that we talked about back in Ephesians chapter two you know one of the motivations for for God's grace um it's where does it say that it says and God raised it Grace, start with Christ and see just with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of grace expressed in his kindness um, to, to us in Christ Jesus. So he's saving us so that we can be an image for other people to see God's grace. And in the same way, he saved John Newton so that he could be an image for others to see his grace. And of course, the, the long. Um, the story of John Newton is that he ended up becoming a clergyman and um, meeting up with uh, William Wilberforce and they were the ones that actually pushed for the abolition of slavery. And the third point is simply this. Grace is high and low. That's a great lyric because it's so vague. You can make that mean whatever you want it to mean. When I've, as I've been thinking about this... I, for me, I think it means that grace is high in that grace comes from God and grace is offered by God and grace is low in that our responsibility is to show grace too. And there's a, a great parable in Matthew chapter 18. Um, Jesus always starts with, the kingdom of heaven is like a king and he wants to settle a, accounts with his servant, so he brings his servant in who owes him Well, depending on which version you read, it's a lot of money. I've heard someone preach on this and they basically said, you know, it's like your neighbour wins the lottery, he's won $10 million and then he walks across the road and kicks your dog and busts down your door and gets you in a chokehold and says, where's the $5 you owe? Basically, that's what this story is saying, that this man owed the king an enormous unpayable debt and he begged to be forgiven Actually, if you read the verses closely, it says, I will pay back everything. He had no concept of his debt. The king took pity on him and cancelled the debt and let him go. Then when he goes out, he finds a servant that owes him a couple of dollars and beats him and says, pay me back everything you owe. And there's just a couple of questions in this who I think are worth noting. You know, Why did the first servant go and start looking for the second servant? Now, I'd suggest that he never heard that the king said, your debt is cancelled. In his mind, he was still thinking, I can repay this. I'm going to pay back everything I owe, because that was his mindset. I'll pay back everything I owe. But then why did he demand the money from the the second servant? Because he had no concept of how big his debt was. And I think sometimes we can go through life, I know I can, where you either don't appreciate that your debt has been cancelled or you don't appreciate the size of that debt. And sadly, and I put my end up here, we can go out and um, do the same thing that this first servant did to the second servant. We can demand better of somebody else than we have been prepared to offer, offer ourselves. And there's actually a supplementary question in this as well. If you notice in that verse, there's actually no mention of the second servant being released from prison and I thought well that's a bit unfair because he really didn't know the king anything but the truth is that the jurisdiction for the second servant lay with the first servant he was the one that put him in prison and sometimes I don't know whether you appreciate this but we can hold people captive by our level of unforgiveness and our level of no grace you know I know I've heard it talked about a lot is you know it's like us swallowing the poison expecting someone else to get sick but there is a component where we actually hold people down because we don't release them with the grace that we've already been shown ourselves I just want to finish with um, a verse that's out of Isaiah and it took me a little while to sort of understand the way this works but It just says, uh, come all you are thirsty, come to the waters, you have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. You know, how do you purchase without money and without cost? You're being offered something for nothing, but there's a cost. And I think this speaks so closely to the grace that we have been offered it's not costing us anything but it costs dearly amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me I once was lost but now I'm found was blind but now I see you know it's If you've never accepted God's grace, firstly for salvation, but there's a whole lot of areas that His grace um, is is made available for. Paul says, you know, He's graced us with gifts. He's he's graced us just so much stuff. No amount of praying, no amount of reading your Bible, No amount of beating your head will win you that because it's already been won. It's there. It is simply a matter of accepting it by faith and appropriating it, taking it on board. And then hopefully as we do that, we'll become grace-filled people. And as he planned all along, that then we would be the image to the world of what he wants to project. Thanks, Greg.